Hi everyone and welcome to my podcast, Get Into It with Gila. I know you're going to love the content here because you will gain inspiration, powerful tools and insights, and valuable knowledge. If you want more of this, please visit my website at www.gilaglassberg.com or visit me on Instagram at gilaglassberg. I'm Gila Glassberg, a registered dietitian and intuitive eating counselor. I have come to realize by counseling many, many women that this work is much deeper and greater than food and body image. It's the bigger picture challenges we face of love, belonging, acceptance, what our true values and goals are, noticing them, addressing them, and gaining skills to move forward. If you have been struggling with what your life's purpose is, or you just feel stuck in general and don't know what's holding you back, this podcast will enlighten and inspire you to take action and move forward. This podcast is about other women in the 21st century who feel that losing weight will fix all their problems or somehow meet their unmet needs. Hi, everybody. This is Gila Glassberg, registered dietitian nutritionist and certified intuitive eating counselor. And I'm here to introduce the one and only Evelyn Triboli, one of the authors of Intuitive Eating. And I would like to say it's a book, but it is also a movement. And we're going to be talking about that tonight. So Evelyn, do you mind introducing yourself? Yeah, I think you already just did, though. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, I'd rather just jump into the interview, but I will say, just for people who are not familiar with my work, I'm the co-author of Intuitive Eating. It's a book Elise and I created in a concept back in 1995, so it's we're going on 25 years here, and you can we can say when the book was written, it was really evidence-inspired, mm-hmm. um, but now we have over 120 studies on our work showing benefits, which makes it just incredibly exciting, you know? It is so exciting. And I'll just, we'll just get right into the interview. And I'll start off by saying that I am certified. I became certified with you actually. And I've learned so much from you and from your courses and from your book. But one of the things that I like absolutely love, and I always come back to with intuitive eating is that it is research-based. It is evidence-based. And if you read the, when people ask me questions about intuitive eating and they seem confused, I'm like, did you read the book? Because it is all in there. (laughs) (laughs) And you're just so, you and Elise Resch are just so knowledgeable about nutrition in general, intuitive eating, even eating disorders, how to treat them. And then we go into like that gray space of not an eating disorder, but a disordered eating with food, which is what intuitive eating can really help people with. So there's a lot of interviews out there about intuitive eating and a lot of information about out there. And some of it is definitely misconstrued. But I would want you just for our listeners that aren't as familiar with intuitive eating just to tell us exactly what it is and what it is used for. Yeah, so maybe that the short version is it's a self-care eating framework with 10 principles and Elise and I created it as a solution to dieting and our first principle is reject diet mentality and what's happening is intuitive eating has really gotten popular and it's not just me saying it it's magazines saying it was just declared you know the new trend for 2020 and as I've been talking about this with other journalists and and colleagues it's really feeling more like a movement which I think is incredibly awesome that we have a right to feed our bodies in a way that feels good and without guilt and hierarchy and shame. Mm-hmm. But with this newfound popularity, it only took 25 years to get to this point, <laughs> diet culture is starting to co-opt our stuff and that, that's really aggravating. And so I can see why it's, it's confusing. If, 
you go on to Instagram, you know, there's a lot of, if you look at the hashtag intuitive eating, there's over a million posts on that, which at first I was thrilled. But when you see influencers and diet culture people co-opting it for their own purposes, that's when it's a problem. So here's the thing I want you to know with intuitive eating is it's really centers you. It centers the client. You're the expert of your body. They are 10 principles. They are guidelines. They're not rules. And our work as counselors or facilitators is to help guide somebody in connecting to their body. And so anyone who tells you that they're going to sell you intuitive eating for the purpose of weight loss, you need to run away fast. That is a bastardization of our model. So with intuitive eating, the body might stay the same. The body might lose weight. The body might gain weight. The whole point is healing your connection to your food, mind, and body and getting your life back. Because when you are preoccupied about what you think your body should look like or what you should eat or shouldn't eat, it interferes with relationships. It's like being on the phone with somebody and you can tell that they're multitasking. They're involved in the conversation, but they're not there. It's kind of like that, you know? Yes, I do know. And I will say for myself that when I read the book, there was that aha moment like many people talk about. And I didn't lose weight. I probably gained weight. I stopped weighing myself. And I think that a lot of people tell me that this is why I connect with my clients so well, because I live it like every day, like even being a dietitian, people like look for me, look to me for advice, or they might look at my body and think like, I don't want to be that size. So why would I follow what she says? And there's still a body acceptance piece for me. And I think that there's so many people don't like really get that because they're like, oh, if you do intuitive eating, you're really happy with your body or like you don't really care to be overweight or to be not the thin ideal. And I always say like the thin ideal is so loud. 80 to 90% of people are probably on a diet or on some sort of food plan or some form of involved in some form of diet culture. And it's just, we really are swimming upstream in a way. But like, as you said, it really is a movement. And I think people are clinging to it so strongly because they're just so sick of dieting. Yeah, and dieting and diet culture, it's, it's abusive, you know, and it doesn't feel good and it disconnects you from your body. And the more you get disconnected, the bigger wedge there is of mistrust. You're not trusting your body. And then next thing you know, you're not trusting yourself in everyday things of living. And there's something really sacred about the fact that our body knows how to communicate with us. We have a body language uh, called, it's interceptive awareness. And what that is being able to perceive the physical sensations in your body which I think is nothing short of magical because this is about getting your needs met, whether it's biological, like, oh, my body is heavy and my eyes are heavy, I'm sleepy, I need sleep, or my bladder is full, I need to relieve myself, or I'm hungry, I need to eat. But also every emotion has a physical sensation. And so when we can get connected to that and honor that, that helps us get our needs met. And I think it's one of the reasons I hear so many people say intuitive eating is life changing Mm -hmm. because as they start to try trust their body and honor the messages from it, they start trusting themselves at a deeper level and it becomes life changing. And it's so, so key. And part of, I think what makes this so challenging is our culture is so steeped in weight stigma and fat phobia that the first thing people go into is, is weight. And that should really have no agenda with health. Weight is not a behavior. You know, how you take care of your body, that's a behavior. Getting enough sleep, that's behavior. And we need to stop the judging and hierarchy of bodies and recognize there is such a thing as body diversity. 
we can't tell uh, the someone's health or fitness just by looking at the size of their body, you know? Yes, 100%. And a lot of times, like when I speak about intuitive eating, and I tell people about an interceptive awareness, I think that that might be the first time that they're given that autonomy, because kids, we might not even be taught like, do you know that when you're angry, your body, you have a tightening in your fist or your clenching fist. And I, I definitely wasn't taught that as a kid. So to read about an intuitive eating about about my hunger fullness signals has really um, poured over into all areas of my life. And how do you think that we could like restructure our like teaching besides for with eating, but also with getting kids or any, even adults just to be more in tune with their bodies? Yeah. Well, part of it is honoring them, honoring the fact that our, our kids actually know how to eat. I'll tell you a kind of a funny thing that just happened to me. I'm on Instagram a lot and I, I reluctantly got on about a year ago and now I love it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it gives me passion because I get stories from people all the time. Mm-hmm. So somebody shot me a, picture of their hol- their kids Halloween candy so here we are today's December 17th and we know it's holiday season and she's like and the candy's still here it's awesome and she said how when she loosened up the grip on regulating their kids sugar all of a sudden they didn't care about it so even now as we come into Christmas Hanukkah and whatever tradition you are in uh, the kids aren't going um, focused around the candy so I put that on my stories and then I got so many DMs from other parents oh my god that's my kid too that's my kid too and so this idea and, and by the way I think parenting is one of the most humblingest things you can do I really do and this is not about shaming parents right. it's about it's, it's paradox the more you try and control your child's eating regardless of how great your intention is right. it has a negative consequence and there's tons of research that has shown this when you restrict your kids eating like let's say sugar then that's the very thing they become focused on then that's the very thing they tend to eat more of out of opportunity because they don't know they're ever going to have it again and so i just get delighted when i get all these you know someone sent me another picture of their kids halloween candy and those kinds of things so that's how this can really help change our, our culture, this idea that we can actually dismantle diet culture one family at a time, that this can begin at your kitchen table, that we do not disparage other people's bodies, a, a person's body is not bad or good, that it is the container of our soul, our spirit, and we don't make comments on somebody's eating, you know, and that we trust that our bodies can self-regulate. And as I say this out loud, it might sound pretty basic. I'm sure it sounds basic to you. But what I find is in family dynamics, it can change, you know, and, and that's what we need to start looking at. And this is where parents have a lot of influence that we can actually change the culture by changing, starting from with our own families. There's a healing that can happen, you know? Yeah. And I actually just thought of this, that like the duality of like, when we give our kids autonomy to know, like, this is your body, only you know how you feel, only you know how hungry and full you are. It gives yeah. them space to not look at other people and think like, I need to judge you. I need to tell you how to eat. Cause we really never know how somebody's feeling inside physically exactly. or emotionally. Exactly. Exactly. So in the long run, it's actually very empowering. It gives us all agency and it's, it's a, it's, it's a beautiful thing. And also there's a more of a calmness that happens you know yeah oh yeah, for sure I know that when we started to implement it in my house with division of responsibility and giving like as a dietitian I thought I knew exactly what to give my kids and I knew exactly how they were going to eat and when they started to throw it on the floor or never touch it I was like, <laughs> that's the only part of parenting I was telling you about yeah <laughs> yeah this is like weird why isn't this working they should be eating like my 
broccoli and salmon, like why don't they love it? And now like there's such a sense of calm for me when I'm feeding them. And I always say not always, of course, there's a part of me that's like, please eat the vegetables. And I remind myself like, it's okay, they can choose. And, and I tell this to my clients also, like when they're 20 years old, you want them to be able to decide. So if you're deciding for them now, they're not gonna go exactly against what you say because they need that autonomy. Yeah, in fact, as you're saying that, reminds me of a really interesting study that was published a while ago. It was on college age kids. And they looked at, they gave them a questionnaire about what was it like growing up as a kid in terms of the way your parents fed you, the rules and those kinds of things. And then they gave that same questionnaire to the parents. That's an unusual study. Mm -hmm. And what they found is that the college age kids that as children had parents that were intervening, monitoring and restricting their intake, they're the ones that grew up and had issues with eating difficulties and also scoring lower on intuitive eating. So in a way, what you're doing what you just described is you're giving your kid the gift of trust and freedom and agency in their own body. You know, right. it's a thing. Yeah. Right. But I think there's so much fear mongering that goes on in our culture. It makes parents afraid or parents are sometimes afraid that they're going to be judged based on, on how they feed their families and, and so on. And so part of it is like letting go of that, that no one knows what my body needs. No one knows what my family needs and you know, we shouldn't be judging. Right. So intuitive eating, one of the ways that it flows over into my life and other of my clients life and other people is that like in general we shouldn't be judging right like in general we shouldn't be looking at somebody's the way that they parent or the way that they decide to feed their family or yeah. any of those types of things and that that's definitely taught me that you know I guess value that we don't we just don't judge people we never know what's going on in their minds yeah. and we, we can't assume things well and I'm gonna I'm gonna, just, I'm gonna self disclose to you a judgmental story of me because I flashed up as you just said this so this was oh my god this is about 10 years ago I'm in Philadelphia and I'm waiting for my airplane and there's this woman and her three little boys and they were so rambunctious and I was okay I was getting judgmental like control your kids you know mm -hmm. and I just remember thinking that I finally moved where I was at because they were I was just I've had it so I, I go get, grab something to eat I go back to where I was and I, I swear I was gonna make me want to cry when I say this these kids we're now holding a sign, welcome home, daddy. He was coming home from the war. It's like, oh my gosh, of course these kids were jumping up all over the place and so excited. And it was a powerful and humbling lesson, you know, that we don't know what's going on. And this poor woman who's been parenting without her husband and dad of her kids, I'm getting chills as I'm saying this, it's just a good reminder. And this is not to be shaming ourselves, but just to remind ourselves we really don't know. We really don't know. So that's also true with people's lives with their bodies and what people are eating you know yes, yes and I guess I'll segue for a second but I'll, I'll just disclose about myself we actually spoke earlier this year and I was saying that you know I, I wanted to move forward in my business and I really wanted to work on my counseling skills and I told you that my, my mother passed away very suddenly and three days later my son was born and there was just like a lot of chaos mm -hmm. and crazy obviously and one of the best advice that you gave me was that I should be in therapy and that will help me with my own counseling skills and as we're talking about this like non-judging and all the type of stuff like one of the things that my therapist actually taught me was self-compassion which I had never heard of I, I love self-care and I love all those types of things but I never heard of the concept of self-compassion and at first I told her like it was so like rah rah like just like you know give yourself some compassion but then when I went back to looking into intuitive eating and all the stuff that I use with my clients it's like this is like what Brene Brown says like wholehearted living like food is really really important and we really do yeah. want to treat our bodies well and love our 
bodies and so- give ourselves self-care. But when like I'm t- I just took um, Jessica Sutnick's boot camp, eating disorder boot camp, and she says someone with an eating disorder thinks about food 80 to 100% of their day. Oh, yeah, by 100%, 100 to 10% because they're dreaming about it. When you want to be a wholehearted person and you're thinking about food 110% of your day, it's very hard to have headspace for you know your family and people that love you. And it's not, it's not your fault, but it's, it's like a grieving process. It's, it's very sad that, that, yeah. So intuitive eating really helps empower people and it gives them that headspace to think about food when they should be thinking about food and then thinking about other things that are of value to them. Yeah. And you know, you raised a really good point about self-compassion. In fact, it's so important. We actually included a section of that in our intuitive eating workbook that there's actually been a lot of good, besides the fact that it's a wonderful thing to do for yourself, that there's a lot of research to show this is what helps people let go of perceived eating uh, flaws or, or something to that where and it's not about giving someone a pass it's being caring it's like oh my gosh no wonder I ate way past full I hadn't had breakfast or lunch and I came home to dinner and I was starving right. did I feel good after doing it no but it's certainly understandable that I did that and right. I'll share something with you I just learned I just met this awesome psychologist she's in New York her name is Anne Safi oh my god I'm forgetting her last name this is a terrible but her book is called befriending your body yeah. and we met a retreat training all about embodying how to do embodied work through uh, interceptive awareness and her dissertation was on embodied compassion I go oh my gosh tell me more and what she learned is that we need to be able to self-soothe ourselves physically before we can invite in the soothing words of self-compassion so whether it's putting your hand on your heart or mm-hmm. something I, I thought I just thought oh that's beautiful you know so you are so right on that and you're right even your original reaction was like you know yeah. <laughs> yeah nice nice stuff you know <laughs> la 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 <laughs> but there's actually really something to it and it's it's a form of self-kindness you know yeah. and that's that's what's missing right now I think in our culture it's what we're missing toward ourselves and our others toward our bodies and so sometimes I ask oh I'm gonna tell you this right now I haven't said this yet on a podcast and you're gonna be the first to hear yeah. <laughs> so you know Elise and I have updated intuitive eating and the fourth edition will be out in June 2020 and we actually uh, tinkered a bit with the principles. The principles are still true, mm-hmm. but with the principle on coping with feelings, we, we changed the words. The words used to be cope with your feelings without using food. And the reason we decided to change it is that diet culture has so pathologized emotional eating. We wanted to move away from that idea. And so instead we have cope, cope with your feelings with kindness. You know, mm-hmm. what's the kind thing to do? And sometimes mm-hmm. it might be, yeah, I'm going to have a, a nice cookie and a hot chocolate just mm-hmm. to self-soothing you know yes the point of that whole principle is that we need a variety of resources to cope when you have just one it's generally problematic and so but i love that word kindness because Mm -hmm. it's hard to do something mean to yourself when we say what would be the kind thing to do yeah and i also i often say that to my clients i'm so glad that you're saying this because i say like it's okay to use food to cope with your emotions sometimes but we also that's where we teach the other self-care and the other um, emotional coping skills that come in because that doesn't it could sometimes help you a little bit but like it's sometimes just a, a temporary soothe or sometimes it is all you need but a lot of times like you need to learn like I learned something recently actually before I read intuitive eating I learned about the five love languages which I absolutely love oh, yeah. and I'm one of nine I'm the fourth of nine. Oh my goodness yeah 
and my love language is quality time and I mm -hmm. always struggled with that because I didn't know that was my love language and it's hard to give you know nine kids quality time so somebody who I look up to and I've been to her classes many times her name is Parola Bramowitz she combined the two and she said once you learn your own love language you could learn to give give it to yourself and that's the highest form of uh, self yeah beautiful and awesome yeah yeah, yeah. That's so that's what we do sometimes in session. I'll ask I, I'll ask my clients, have you ever heard of the five love languages? Let me teach them to you. And then I try to help them identify what it is. And then we try to come up with self-care ideas that have to do with their love language. And it really speaks to their heart, you know? Oh, that's beautiful. That's a great, great use of that. It's awesome. Yeah, yeah. You know, I'll share another story. I don't know why I'm coming up with all these stories today. Oh, I love the stories. They're great. So here's an example of using food to cope. So this was about five years ago, and my father had to have open heart surgery. Luckily, it was an emergency, so it was a calm process. But it got to be pretty complicated in the week that ensued because of complications he had from anesthesia. And my one of my sisters and I, I forget who did the first one. Uh, someone went to the gift shop and bought, you know what the hot tamale candies are? They're those cinnamon things. Mm -hmm. and like here and it just hit the spot and became our little joke and our little self-care and I looked on back with that with a lot of fondness and kindness you know mm -hmm. was yeah. I hungry at the time I don't even remember right. but I do know it was a part of coping and now it's kind of a kind of a, a nice memory to a difficult time in our life you know so we need to remove the shame from eating that's the, one of the biggest aspects and what happens is when people engage in eating to a point where they're not feeling good physically they really don't feel good physically what adds to that is the self-shame that they put on that and often the problem continues to grow because they can't let that go mm -hmm. you know and we're human trying to do the best that we can. And that's where that the words of compassion come in. What would be the compassionate way to look at this? What would your best friend say? What would your mother say? Or what would you say to your best friend? Or actually one time I had a really, really tough situation with a patient. And I said to her, um, I can't imagine you talking to your dog like that. Mm -hmm. And I knew she was a dog lover and she started crying. She goes, oh my God, I could never talk to him like that. Mm -hmm. And it was such a poignant moment. Because she, she realized in that moment that the way she talked to herself was so nasty. And she went, even say that to her dog and it was a point of the shifting for her and so part of it is is to recognize wow I have really been unkind to myself but there's a way out there's a way out through all of this you know so where do you think that that like negative self-talk in our culture comes from because I hear I hear it from so many of my clients and I have one idea about diet culture that it might like feed into that insecurity of ours that we're not good enough. So we're thinking, okay, th this, the diet's giving me the answer. If I just lost weight, I would be good enough. But why do so many people buy into that? Like hurt, those hurtful messages? You know, I think because it's the languaging of diet culture, it's, it's very binary, very black and white, all or nothing. On, on or off a diet. I followed the diet. I didn't follow the diet. But then when you start taking a look historically at the roots of fat phobia, you know, there was a really great book out I highly recommend called Fearing the Fat Body, Racism at the Root of Fat Phobia. And it was written by a scholar, Sabrina Strings. Oh my gosh, I'm getting a last name except Strings. And it was just published this year. And it, she's an academic and it was really profound. I mean, you see that this has been going on since like the 16th century. And we start looking at the lineage of well, how did my mom talk about her body and how did her mom talk about her body? I mean, I look at that in my own family and there, I, have a, I come from a dieting family where there's also fat phobia. And so we can look at where they started to come from. It's like, oh my God, it didn't originate with me. It's not that we're passing the blame. It's we're having the context to understand, you know? Yeah. And I think part of it, you know, you mentioned Brene Brown, but she's also big into belonging. And so sometimes people, they feel a sense of community when they're dieting. And so part of it is we need to find other ways to commute and, sorry, to um, connect and bond with 
with other people, not through dieting, but through deeper things that give us more meaning. And we are, as human beings, wired to connect. And if we're talking to ourselves in ways that shame us and isolate us, it's doing the very opposite of what we need. We need to connect, you know? Yeah. And this is, I guess this all ties back into the whole concept of self-care. And I talk about this all the time, but there's a book, The Surrendered Wife. And she says that sometimes when you're very angry at your husband, you have to look to see how good you're being with your self-care. Uh, it's very, it's really interesting how she ties self-care into your marriage. But she also says that women, women, I guess men also, but women, we really need that like sense of community. And the way she grew her whole The Surrendered Wife movement was that every week she would meet with her friends in her living room and she describes it with quiche and tea and, you know, girly food, whatever. And that gave women need to have community amongst each other. And maybe we just do with dieting because I know for myself, I always say this, like 90% of the conversation that goes on with people around me is about dieting, which is like hard. It's hard because somebody recently recognized me from Instagram, which was really exciting, but she said, I love your message, but I keep telling my mom that my sister shouldn't be dieting. And I said, five years ago, you probably were dieting, right? So we don't have to be so anti-diet. That's, I don't think that that's the way to go. I think that we have to look at people with self-compassion. And I try to even do this when I hear people like conversing about it. I think in my head, I feel so bad for them that they're still trapped, you know? Yeah. Well, and I think you raise a good point. And so it's kind of, here's the way that I look at this. It's completely, this is the compassionate lens. In our culture, it's understandable that someone is stuck in dieting, you know? And there's no shame in that. And that, that part, we have to be really, really clear. I think some people misunderstand health at every size. They're not shaming people because they want to be a different size. That's what they're trying to do to escape fat phobia mm-hmm. and weight stigma. So we come into it with understanding. And what I find, I have patients that go through phases where in the beginning, they get jealous of their neighbor or of their sibling who's dieting and they're all euphoric about it. Oh my gosh, I feel so good. You know, they get so very loud and very braggy, very mm-hmm. self-absorbed in that phase. Mm-hmm. And they get mad and angry and kind of jealous. Mm-hmm. And yet they're very clear they're not going to go back to dieting. And then I tell them, I said, one day, you will, believe it or not, you will get to the point where you actually have compassion and feel kind of sorry for that person that they're still stuck in that way of viewing their body and their world, that it actually shrinking their world and their connections to other people. And that's what tends to happen. You know, you have compassion and people need to have their own time and when they're ready. Sometimes they need, I call it being humbled into submission, that they have to have six diets before they realize, oh my gosh, this really doesn't work. And when you think about all the research on how dieting doesn't work in the long run, but it's not until year two or even by year five where we see all the weight come back. And for two thirds of the people, they'll gain back even more weight than what they've lost. All they remember is, oh, it came off, you know? And in their mind, it worked. And so they're still hooked on that feeling. They're still chasing it like a first love, a first romance that was just so, so easy. And so, but where I'm not as... I don't want to say I'm not kind. So from people, I understand the desire to lose weight. Right? Ah, here's the word, frustrated. I get frustrated with health professionals that don't do the research. They haven't read the harm of what happens when you focus on weight and the fact that it's not effective, that it harms other people. That gets really frustrating because I think they have a duty to understand this, you know? Yeah, and I recently just heard on a podcast, back to the whole dieting and the mentality of when you're on a diet, I heard that 
a lot of people had that like rose colored glasses from the time that they were on a diet. Like my life was perfect when I was on that diet. And then I'm like, was it really? Like, because I don't think it was. You just have that memory of like, yeah, I I had lost weight. So therefore my life was perfect. But this is where I really like to work on with my clients is that we, it's so, it's so much easier to focus on the diet than focus on the fight with your husband, than focus on your parenting skills that you want to work on. So what, what is it? Why, why are you so focused on this diet? Why are you so focused on what you're eating? Is there something deeper? Do you feel that that's, do you feel that dieting is like, or what we're eating is just easier to focus on? Well, yeah. What it happens, sometimes when I'm having those conversations with patients, I'll say, you know, I have to wonder if this is a coping mechanism that you've developed, you know, and looking at this, we start looking at not just what's happening right now with the conversation they need to have with their husband, but let's look at the pattern when diets have happened. I think that's also a compassionate view that, oh, no wonder I keep going back to diets, not just for this fantasy, what my body's going to be like, but I also have this fantasy, what life's going to be like, it gives me a focus, it gives me a purpose, and it's crystal clear temporarily until it doesn't work. So it's really, really understandable. That's what I say to that. But to be honest, I never thought it, things would be this, this level of absurdity where they call keto a lifestyle. That, that just, you know, and so what I've done to keep my own sanity as a health professional is that people are going to be ready in their own time. And I'm here and ready to work with you when you are or to the health professionals that are when they're ready. And what I see with health professionals, so part of it when I do these trainings, they're like, oh my gosh, why didn't we learn this in grad school? Why don't we learn this in our internship? Why don't we learn this in medical school? And there's a lot of reasons as to why. And so what ends up happening with busy health professionals, they just rely on the policies of their organization. So in the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics, that's very weight-centric. In the American Medical Association, weight-centric and political. Mm-hmm. And so it's understandable that a busy health professional says, well, that's what my organization says. But once we start reading the research, then this is another thing I see predictably that happens. I should write on this someday. It, the, the, the second phase that happens with health professionals trained in traditional models is they get inf- new information that contradicts what they've been taught. And they read the, and that's why I say read the research. You know, you don't have to argue with me. Read the research and form your own opinion. But read at least, you know, five or 10 good studies first. Mm-hmm. And then they get in this place of it doesn't feel good. They're in a place mm-hmm. of cognitive dissonance where what they're reading doesn't align up with their beliefs. And usually by this time in their career, they've usually been in their career for at least five years, where now they're having the life experience that, you know, these patients are honest and intellectual and they're not lying about their eating. There's something wrong with this process and it doesn't feel good. Mm-hmm. And then they go and they cross over to intuitive eating or health at every size or a non-weight-centric mm-hmm. approach. It's, it's just a pattern I see over and over again. And so because that part doesn't feel good, you want to get resolved on that. So what that usually means is a health professional will do more reading around this. Like, well, let me see. What about this? What about that? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? And it's out there. The information's yeah. out there. Right. Yeah. And I can relate to that on so many levels because I went, I have my master's in nutrition. So I went through the undergrad, then the internship, and then the master's. And I never heard one about intuitive eating. Not once. I actually heard about it from this woman, Paral Abramowitz, um, who I went to her to because I was so upset about my career path because I was so passionate about nutrition and helping other women like even in some way feeling like healing their relationship with food that's what I felt and I wasn't doing that and it was only like two years into being an RD and once I read the book I was like and again it's just so well researched it's like almost unrefutable and there's just all that like knowledge and what you've taught me when when we were doing the training is that the best experience is the learning experience of your personal experience so like once you go through it that's why when I read the book I was like this is me like this is me and my like healthy eating like you know like all those times where like I don't eat a certain way during the week but then I binge on a a weekend 
Like where does that, you know? Yeah, and it has nothing to do with your knowledge or intellect. It's, it's all biology, biological drive, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. so that's profound, isn't it? And, you know, I tell you, I've had a lot of health professionals say this, especially dietitians, and it warms my heart, where I've talked to dietitians who are actually getting ready to leave their career because they felt so unsatisfied yeah. with, them, with intuitive eating. To be a facilitator and a witness of people's lives changing, it's like, oh, yeah. give me more of that, you know? And that's exciting to see, very exciting to see. It is, and back to like the way that intuitive eating changes your whole life, because I've heard Elise Rush compare it to intuitive living also. Oh, yeah. And being an intuitive eating professional, it's like, I, I do feel like I'm changing people's lives because I'm opening up their eyes to, especially what you're talking about, body kindness, being kind to themselves, gentler voice. It's okay to be a certain weight. It's okay to be a certain size. It's okay to be a certain way in general in life and just yeah. have to accept ourselves as who we are authentically. And that is the way that we don't have that cognitive dissonance, right? Exactly. And that we're these amazing human beings. And sometimes I use the analogy of puppies. You know, I've never met a person yet. There could be someone out there, but that doesn't like or love a puppy. And we accept all the different sizes that puppies come in from the little tiny Italian, you know, whip it to the giant mastiff, you know, and we don't say, oh, you should have more fur. Oh, you should, you know, we don't do that. We just immediately fall in love with puppies. And so if we can have that same idea that our body is our home for the rest of our life and we want to come into a home that we feel welcomed and nourished and nurtured and cherished you know? Yeah. I love the way that you compare your body to your home. And I've, I've, I've seen people post on this on in Instagram before, and I, I think it's beautiful. I think it's like just back to Renee Brown, whole, wholehearted living. We only have, we only have this one body to live in this one life to live in and God gave it to us. And it works in so many different ways. And even to just hear you describe what we were talking about in the beginning, interceptive awareness that our emotional state or our physical state will react in a physical way, or our emotional state will give us some insight into our intuition, you know, or our physical right. state. That is like so powerful and it's incredibly powerful it is and that's it's like you want your patients to feel that magic and it's not magic it's just deep listening and when that shift happens oh it's beautiful you know yeah changing lives yeah so i'll just ask you one last question if that's okay okay Uh, you you mentioned other health professionals and i know that you were at fenty this year which is the food and nutrition conference and so you really are impacting the entire field do you see that that many 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 other health professionals even doctors are opening up to this the concept of intuitive eating i am in fact i am getting ready to train my fourth group of ukrainian psychologists starting in january i've trained and i've trained two groups from uh from russia and i got to paint a visual for your listeners elise and i were floored by the outpouring of the dietitians you know there were two thousand chairs that were full and then people overflowing in the aisles it was just oh it warmed my heart in a way just um it brings me to tears and all these dietitians coming up saying you changed my life personally and professionally because my life has changed i'm helping change other people's lives and i tell you it put it gave me a high <laughs> i haven't had professionally and it's like yeah this is like my calling i'm so clear about it to put an end to this unnecessary suffering so that people can live out their life's purpose and thrive in whatever way they decide whatever that is you know whether it's raising a family or getting the cure for cancer or something I don't know it's just um, it's, a, it's a path to freedom 
is what it is, you know? So your your authenticity and your drive and your passion comes through in all your work. And I hope that people could see that this is like the work of intuitive eating is like figuring out your truth and living that truth. Yes. Very well said. Very thank well you. said. Yeah. So thank you so much. Anything you want to end off on? No, I think, I think this was awesome. If people want to follow me on Instagram, they can follow me. I, I post a fair amount there on intuitive eating or they can check out our websites or something like that. So okay, yeah. So it's intuitiveeating.com. Does that work? Uh, org, yeah, yeah. And then it's at Evelyn Tribley for, for Instagram. So. Okay, awesome. Yeah. Thank you so much. Have a wonderful night. Okay, this was great. And let me know when you post this and I'll help promote it for you, okay? okay thank you so much. You're so okay, sweet. all right. Take care. Thank you all so much for being here on my podcast, Get Into It with Gila. If you'd like to learn more about what I do and what intuitive eating is, please visit my website at www.gilaglassberg.com or follow me on Instagram at gilaglassberg. Thank you so much. Have a great day.